Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Let's talk about the best episode of season nine, David. Yes, yes let's do it. Let's let's do it. Well, we're already doing it, so let's get into it. Welcome back, Ken Reed. Thank you for having me. This is bittersweet. Oh, yes. Isn't it, though? It is. Uh, this is your first time this year. We're recording this on uh, Sunday, January 22nd. And uh, this is your first time this year. This might be your last time, though. We got to bring you back. for. The, we're still going to be doing a monthly show, a Facts okay. of Life adjacent monthly show. I think About living single? And <laughs> well, I mean, we could. <laughs> we th- we had you on, I think, three times last year, and thank you so much for all the kind words mentioned in your year-end wrap-up on TV yeah. Guidance Counselor. Of course, they were so very sweet. Nice. I actually made a video of myself listening to it and shared it with my Patreon. Oh, very nice. And uh, I'm like, this is the thrilling content you pay for me on a video listening on my phone going, he said us, he, he mentioned us. It's the world we live in today. That's that's exactly what it is. And 70 people have done reaction videos to it and gotten 10 million hits that I will never see. Excellent. Yep. Thanks, social media. Here we are at, I guess if you consider the two-part finale, even though it's two episodes, this is the penultimate episode of the entire series yeah yeah <sighs> which was is it's kind of uh a bit a bittersweet in the the b story of this episode is sort of knowing i think yeah oh oh you're so right you're so right we will we'll talk about that and uh the other thing that's also fitting is that i'm not really mad at this show with plenty of critique we'll be here for three hours but the thing is uh, we just watched <laughs> get up matthew you're in you're you're in this and you're not going anywhere but the the last two episodes were just the worst the one with tootie and the necklace and pippa's party yep. Yep. And, and jeff's grandmother and then yep. last week was the one with joe's joe's social worker mentor on the ledge of a building Yep. That's once you get the ledge of a building episode of the sitcom that you're pretty much <sighs> that's the end Night Court did three of them. <laughs> oh my God, did they? Yeah, yeah. I once pitched a, a TV show uh, idea that was a talk show um, with like people from 80s TV shows, but the talk show host would be in the window and the guest would always be on a ledge, like in that <laughs> set. And that's how you'd conduct the interviews <laughs> because they, they had to still have that set. They used the same window still on the ledge set for every single show so it has to exist and it had to be free someone just hire the yeah. right set designer and they're like oh well, that i got it in my garage mm-hmm. yeah wow the golden girls did one and it is in the golden girls community considered the worst episode of the series ah! <laughs> well how about we get into some facts facts about this episode this is our penultimate attempt at a backdoor pilot we know the facts of life did not ever pass up the opportunity to do a backdoor pilot. And we've even imposed a few on the series. And this is one that they thought was going to go. Uh, so it looks like they did want Natalie to be a part of it. 
Do we know? I didn't get that impression. I felt like she, because at the end when she she moves back to Peaks, like they made such a big deal out of her not really moving there. Mm. I feel like they would not have kept her uh on the show i feel like she would have been replaced with my here was my thought you know the friend she mentions that's the model oh casey yeah casey who i don't think we've ever seen on the show before right we have not no i feel like she'd come back oh maybe that would make sense okay i completely got that she was coming back and that the first episode of the series would be her return with her stuff if I guess they this picked is a it glass up. half full thing are you half <laughs> Natalie or no Natalie? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I guess I, I could go either way. I could see it going either way, but they made it. It's, you know what it is? I'm sure you know what this is. This was their their way out. This was their escape clause, as in based on what they presented us, they could have done either sure. and it wouldn't have contradicted anything. Just like the first episode of The Facts of Life where you have different strokes and how many times... Does Philip Drummond say, Mrs. Garrett, you can come back to your old job anytime you want. <laughs> if your sitcom fails, you can come back and be an R sitcom again. So that's my Conrad Bain impression. You're welcome. Oh, what's that? It was very good. We thought it was your Nell Carter. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? Uh, it sounded a little bit more like his twin brother. Yeah, I'll, I'm still working on my Boner Bain impression. I'm still well, we all are. Yeah, Boner Bain. <laughs> the... <laughs> Mrs. Bain, you're you're pregnant with twin boys, and she's like, I will name them Conrad and Boner. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Now, where's that sitcom spinoff, Conrad <laughs> and Boner? That name. You call is... it Bane of my existence. Oh, Sheboygan. And there it is. The comedy genius of the TV <laughs> guidance counselor, folks. I'll get to it once you get further into the episode, but I have to say, upon rewatching this. It held up better than the entire last season of the show. It's and, the best episode of the season. And it's... I, I think it was very proto-Friends, almost to a T, to a mm -hmm. character T, and probably would have been much better. Oh. I'm not a fan of Friends, but... Yeah, M Matthew, remind me, do you hate Friends or is it you've never watched Friends? I just don't get it. It's like no. Seinfeld for me. I just don't get it. It's just not. I know. kind of love Friends. I'm sorry. A lot of people do. I don't care do. about any of them. It's just five self-absorbed people instead of four self-absorbed people like Will and Grace and Seinfeld. Here's why I think it would have been better. And this won't ruin anything we'll talk about in a minute. No, it's fine. Go ahead. The, these characters were all struggling, which is how you would live in New York City. <laughs> True. And so that is the difference. They're not rich people complaining about bullshit no one cares about. And you're watching them and being like, fuck these people. Shut up. Yeah, like these yeah. people have like a, you know, it's a, it has a blue collar like struggle to survive, especially since. You know, they're all in difficult, uh, difficult roles, either in the arts or whatever they're doing. And I liked that idea. I agree with you. There was an early Friends episode that did kind of address this, where they were like, let's go out to a fancy dinner or let's go out to dinner again. And they sort of quickly found this this split and this divide because you have Rachel, who's a waitress, Joey, who's an actor. And I think it's Phoebe who's an LMT when the three of them are like, we don't make the kind of money 
these others do. You know, Monica is a professional chef. Ross is a doctor of paleontology. And I think he's tenured as a professor at 26 or whatever. And, and Chandler has had an accounting job forever. So you, they did smartly create this divide of there were three of them who were much more financially secure than the other three. But then eh, it, people it didn't just, care about that. They just want to see wish fulfillment. Yeah, that's it. It was, yeah, definitely. Uh, it was something they didn't pursue enough. And then over time, when it was abandoned, then Rachel became a fashion consultant for ralph lauren how do you how do you do that well it's just as easy as getting an article in the new yorker oh apparently. god <laughs> damn it god damn it ken i was i was waiting for us to get to that point so <laughs> uh, you stand-up comedians always got to be the first to strike <laughs> not understanding improv and letting the moment happen organically oh if there's a Facts of Life fan out there that is not familiar with at least one episode of season nine and this being the one, they are not a fan. That's true. Yeah. Oh, no. It's Everybody. one of the, yeah, one of the big ones. Absolutely. Well, in the Facts Facts, we're just going to talk about, let's, just, let's journey back, shall we, to the sure. other backdoor pilots. Back in 1981, we had Brian and Sylvia. That was supposed to be about the interracial couple. That was... Kind of revolutionary for its time, not well executed. Twice they tried to do the military school oh. about Stone Military Academy, and uh, neither time, neither time. It's like, and and those had some pretty well drawn characters and some relationships going on. Arguably, a little bit better than what we're presented with here. Here we're still sure. being given a, a lot of rough material that that isn't quite fully formed yet but i'll say this and if you look at the history of sitcom there's not a lot of successful sitcoms where the main protagonists are teenage boys yeah yeah they're not good sitcom fodder oh wow you're right even like leave it to beaver and dennis the menace like once they reach a certain age the, the show gets like you're like, what's wrong? And they're Malcolm. very like Malcolm, yeah, Malcolm in the middle. The and... Wonder Years is a is a anomaly. Um, and I think again that's because it's shot like a like a movie. Um, but whenever they've tried to do it, it failed. Like that show Spencer with Chad Allen. Was it Chad Allen? Ooh, that um, I don't remember. Uh he's the one who was married to uh Hillary Swank, right? Um, yeah, that was terrible. Like it just doesn't work for whatever yeah. reason oh chad low chad low yes, yeah yeah rob lowe's brother yes brother? Chad Lowe. yeah chad low yeah, yeah there it is yeah but it doesn't so, work like huh, like interesting young, like preteen boys cool teenage girls cool teenage boys no yeah even silver spoons when you when you turn it on and and ricky is get kind of oily and pimply faced and you know and his voice is changing you're right it's kind of like what the fuck different strokes when when Gary Coleman's voice started to dip, that was like, you know, and he's still only four foot eight, and you're like, yeah. what is happening? But facts alive, one day at a time. Uh, th like, there's a ton with uh, who's the boss, really? Like when Samantha was a teenager, like it all works, but for whatever reason, teenage oh. boys forget it. So that's my that's my theory on the on the military academy show. Okay, that is a very valid theory, and I've never thought of it. But you see, that's it. With all of the TV you talk about and you've revisited with all your TV guide exploration on your podcast, Ken, this is the insight that you bring, which is why we fucking love having you here. Thank you very much. Damn it, I'm going to miss this. Okay. And you are not difficult to look at. 
<laughs> well, thank you. I, uh, I use a lot of filters and good lighting. <laughs> wow. Mm. <clears throat> Any who's all. Uh, then, of course, we have this one, Big Apple Blues, uh, the one coming up next week, the Blair taking over Eastland. Uh, there's others going on here that aren't in those official clickbait articles that you find. Like, it seems to me like the center. When we brought Paul Provenza and the center into the mix and Blair buys it, so now Blair is Joe's boss, we're like, where's that show? I would have fucking watched that show for another nine years. Provenza told me that was the intent, was to do a, a, a spinoff sitcom of him running that show without, and it wouldn't have Joe in it, it wouldn't have Blair in it eventually. Like, it would, it would just be about the center. Oh, well, I mean, hey, some of the crazy characters you get walking through the door there. And, they wanted I mean, kind of a head of the class thing, he told me, <laughs> where, oh. you know, like the kids are almost like that. And he's kind of the Howard Hessman. Because okay. it did very well. Head of the class was very popular. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes, of course. But at a, you know, a help center, what am I trying to say? Like a community shelter. Oh, okay. I mean, mental illness and homelessness, never not funny in my book. No. And thank you, Ronald Reagan, for dumping all those people out in the streets. <laughs> so we, we get all that humor. <laughs> Yep, that's who he was. Because he was known for the humor of his exactly. films. Yeah. There was Blair and her law professor. Remember how she oh, and he yeah. had that thing where somebody speculated there was some hanky-panky there and it wasn't true? And then they brought him back and had her in the legal firm. Matthew called this, that that was a no-brainer. That was called Legally Blair, mm -hmm. what you would have called that show, because it was she was a proto-L Woods. And they even seem to imply the very beginnings of something romantic between her and the professor, even yeah. though he was the fucking creepiest dude we have ever Dude, Wasn't had he on married too? That was like the, it was like, not only was he older, but I feel like he was also married. I might be In wrong. the first one, yes. By the time yes. we get to the second one, he is divorced. Okay. So at the end of her winning the case for him by her completely unorthodox methods, he's like, well, you know, maybe I need to... Thank you, Miss Warner, and perhaps you might even get paid. And she's like, well, then you can take me out for a cup of coffee. This sort of, oh. mm. And I'm like, why would you want to be alone with this person? Paid in kind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> e pluribus unum. <laughs> that would have been the second title they pitched. Yeah. 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 We thought there was an interesting show possibility with Tootie and Jeff and Natalie and Snake. So remember, Jeff and Snake, they clashed. You know, Jeff, sure. he is a football star. He is a marine biology major. He may or may not still be dyslexic and unable to read, but he's not a working man like Snake. So they were clashing in that episode. And we thought that would have been an interesting uh, quadruple if they four had to end up living together. We thought that title of, of the many titles we speculate, I thought my girlfriend's best friend's boyfriend. I thought that would okay. be a good title. When Joe's future husband, Rick, meets her dad, Charlie, it is suddenly revealed out of nowhere that Charlie used to be a jazz saxophonist. And Rick being a concert pianist, they play together and finally find common ground at the end of that episode. Matthew said, Charlie's place. There it is. He and Rick buy a club together. Rick and Joe have to live over it. He's always trying to get his mob buddies to leave him alone. He's not in the game anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm not running numbers here. Come on. It's legitimate business. <laughs> and, and again, remember, he wasn't in the mob. His alleged, his time in prison was that they, some some of his colleagues stole typewriters and he left the door unlocked. Yeah. 
and he ended up in prison for you know a couple of years for some time for being just an accessory to this mm-hmm. thievery it's like really even though in real life he killed a guy <laughs> oh oh yeah you've talked many times about how alex <laughs> yeah. rocco basically fled massachusetts yeah he started the italian irish mafia wars uh in boston and left hey allegedly 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 just saying yeah and the last one we speculated was uh the one we mentioned earlier tootie and jeff and jeff's grandma that old battle axe played by bia richards it's like grandmother-in-law it would have had to have the two of them living with this cranky old woman and uh uh, yeah, I'm sure there's other... I had a couple. Oh, go, go. Who was the guy who was the stand-up comic? Oh, the, the black guy that Tootie became his manager while she was yes. still in high school? Yes, yes, yes. I speculated there was one about him trying to make it as a comic because they were like really focusing on him for a bit. Um, I yeah. suspected the, the the nacho, like the Mexican restaurant that... Um... Senor Sombreros. Yes, like that would be one about that. Sure. Um, and then the two-parter in L.A., I was like, are they trying to move one of, like, 2D to L.A. to be an actress? And this will be, oh. like, the spinoff? <laughs> Down and out in Malibu. Yeah. yeah. It could be that Richard Mall is always touring, and so therefore they just live in his house, yeah. which is the set. That's where they were. Huh. The, very true. Those all could be. There's a lot of, lot of sets that they built. And you've said many times, season nine, right now, we are in this backdoor pilot bonanza. And now we finally get one that is 100% truly intended to be its own show later. And it has an entirely uh, filled out cast list of many people, including some people who would be very famous. Let's talk about the ladies first, because it seems like they did not end up in as uh, famous a place as the gentleman did though ken if you know stuff please let me know but let's get this out of the way so we don't have to talk about it when we get to the show the actress is she's credited as michelle smith but she goes by michelle little now she is claire the blonde girl who does some type of meditation and is also a, a studio artist and a painter artist and a little bit. I think they wanted her to be kind of a little new agey and woo woo. She would didn't. be the Phoebe. Yeah, totally. Totally would be the Phoebe. And uh, she has credits. The biggest one being My Demon Lover with Scott Valentine. Friend of your podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Is that a name that Ken just dropped? <laughs> I have the world's largest collection of My Demon Lover memorabilia, by the way. Do you? Certified by Scott Valentine. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. He was such a great guest on He's your show. He's the best. He yeah. was so, so nice. She was pushed for a bit. There was like a period from like 85 to 90 when she was kind of hot as like a, I don't mean like she was hot. I mean like Hollywood hot. Yeah. Um, and they were putting her in a lot of things because she's a very likable actress. She almost has like a... Like a like a Callista Flockhart later kind of thing going on, yeah. But not as kooky, um, and and has that sort of Taylor Leone like she's pretty but she's goofy kind of thing. Like she can yeah. do like physical comedy. Um, yeah, she's great in My Demon Lover. Like legitimately is very good as the lead in that movie. Oh yeah, I've I've never seen that. That's one of those on the the lengthy lengthy list of movies you recommend that I need to see. This this would have been a good role for her, I think, if she got uh-huh. in a sitcom. Well, on her Wikipedia page, it says she retired in 1995 to raise a family after giving birth to her daughter with her husband, Brett Cullen. 
I looked up Brett Collin. I'm like, okay, he has a little link to his name. Click. I don't think I recognize him from much, but he has 145 credits in a 42 year acting career. He is, oh my God. I, he was on Lost. I, I don't remember what character particularly, but he was on Falcon Crest and the West Wing, many, many others. Uh, Brett Cullen, good God. Have you ever tried to contact him? No, uh, no, but he's like a, he's like a classic, um, you know, guest star guy. Like, I don't think he ever had a lead in a show, but he works with two or three gigs a year, at least every year. Yeah, he is making bank, man. He is working so much. So he's he's got to be good at what he does. And uh, yeah, so it, according to the records and what you see on the internet, it doesn't show that she has gotten back to it. Almost 30 years later, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so she was good as, as were all of the people in this yeah. show. Nobody was really bad. I would say maybe uh, Richard Grieco as comedic actor, that that had some questionable- He plays a dumb guy well. Again, he's the Joey. Joey. Um, oh, totally. And I will say, he is great in the movie If Looks Could Kill, which is uh, was was called Teenage Spy in the UK. He's the lead in that thing where he gets, uh, he basically plays like someone who's mistaken as a James Bond type, a high school kid who gets mistaken as a super spy. Oh, yeah? And it's a really funny movie. It's it's kind of an overlooked movie, I think from 90 or 91. Um, uh, Gabrielle and what's Anwar it called again? It. It's called If Looks Could Kill. If Looks and Could Kill. Okay. It's very funny. He's very good in it, and they use him very well in a semi-similar way. Um, huh. And then he's gone off the rails. I don't know if you've ever seen him in any of Dave Dakota's movies, but my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about him next in line. Richard yeah. Grieco, who would go on to be quite famous, being on 21 Jump Street with future star Johnny Depp. They even spun off his character for one season. Booker. Booker. Yeah. Yeah. For another show. I don't remember. This is all I'm these are my college years. So I wasn't really watching a lot of TV at this point. He was in an action movie, too, called I think The Taking of Beverly Hills. That's actually pretty decent. Oh, okay. But he's also a musician. You do see him briefly on the guitar in this. That would have been interesting to continue to explore. Uh, and since 2009, he has been mostly an artist and a painter working in a style he calls abstract emotionalism. That sounds about right. That's how his acting was in the last, the most of the 21st century. <laughs> That's my acting style. Abstract, emotional. That's beautiful. Yeah. There's a movie he's in called, I think it's called Absolution that Dave Dakota directed. And it's about an all boys future military academy. And it's him and Mario Lopez. And uh, Grico is, I, I'm, I haven't confirmed this, but I'm going to say he's under the influence of something. Oh. And he clearly hasn't learned any lines and is completely ad-libbing ad everything. And he says some bizarre things in this movie. <laughs> wow. Okay, there's another one. Throw it on the pile. Yeah. But yeah. And just, this is me just being stupid as far as I'm always like, Greco, with a name like Greco, is he Italian? Is he Greek? <laughs> He's half Italian and half Irish. Yeah. It, Greco figure. sounds like some kind of weird slur for a Greek person that a lazy person would come up with. Yeah. A couple that of an Italian Greekos. would come up with. Yeah. yeah. True. Very true. I mean, it's just fascinating to me. He's half Irish, half Italian. Okay. I'm half Scottish and half Italian. And there it is. You're no Greco. How dare you, sir? <laughs> I think that's a compliment if you <laughs> I mean, thank you. Greco today. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. In the role of Nina, we have Tara Bennett-Smith. 
She's credited simply as Tara Smith here, the young African-American woman. She, oh my God, look up her IMDb. You know when you see IMDb biography by Anonymous and it is 17 paragraphs long, elevating them to the highest echelons of show business achievement. They clearly wrote it themselves. (laughs) You know that they wrote it. I'm just going to read you the very first sentence. Bennett, a native New Yorker, has enjoyed a rich and multifaceted career in the entertainment industry, having worked as a director, producer, actress, singer-songwriter, and screenwriter. And it goes on from there. She does have quite a few credits, 38 acting credits in a 42-year career, 16 producing credits since 2009, 9 directing credits since 2005, and she has a series coming out next month on Tubi, on Crackle. Is she producing it or she's in the series? Producing, co-writing, and starring in. It's called The Right Turn. Right is W-R-I-G-H-T. It's where she plays a character named Celeste Wright Turner, who is an empty nester and owner of Wright Turn PR, exploring new adventures in life. I will have to say, she's she's not bad in this episode, but she is the least memorable. She probably, and it's probably not her fault. She's the least, um, the least fleshed out of the characters, I think. Yeah, because they're trying to make her as being the only one who's not 100%. Oh, hi, we're New Yorkers. Come and live with us because we're all so friendly and generous. Right. And, and you know, Natalie did take her Twinkies. That would piss me off too. And the last of the four people is this young unknown actor that no one has ever heard of named David Spade. He had done Police Academy 3 at this Oh, point. that's right. He had. That was the year prior to this. Yeah. Um, he's He's very good in this. He is good, and I wondered how much of it was the writing and he was just right for the character, or did they tailor it a little bit once they cast him? Because the one thing you have to say is he bursts into this sitcom fully formed as David Spade, as we know him to be, as he always was, even on SNL. And that was kind of jarring to me in the best possible way. And I I like that they didn't make him a stand-up comic. Oh, God. Oh, yes. But that would have made perfect sense. Like, you're in New York. It's the late 80s. Oh, totally. Yeah. Someone may be a stand-up comic. Um, And it it, it really works. And I I still, to this day, think about if this show had gone, he would not have been on SNL. He got SNL the year after this. Yeah, because he started out kind of as a um, a writer. As a writer and all that. Yeah, he ended up being an actual player from 90 to 96. And then Just Shoot Me was 97 to 03, mm-hmm. which that was such a weird career move for him to do an ensemble show like that, to be in a supporting role, when simultaneous to all this, he had done big screen movies like Tommy Boy in 95, Black Sheep in 96, and then we'll go on to voice Emperor's New Groove in 2000, and then Joe Dirt in Joe 2001. Dirt. He uh, he stopped in and did my weekly comedy show once. He? He did. They were filming... Grown Ups 2, I think, <laughs> in, okay. in Massachusetts. And uh, yeah, he came in to do a set. It was very, very nice. 
Oh, my next question was going to be, do you know him? Because it occurs to me, you very likely yeah. would have crossed paths with him. He's in he's in town in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna I'm still trying to. He said he would do a TV guidance counselor at some <gasps> point. So shut uh, the fuck. I'm hoping I gotta. I actually was literally going to email him tomorrow. Um, and obviously, oh if if this happens, we will discuss this episode. Oh please, oh God, please, so please. If you do. have, if you ha I'll let you know if I if I uh, get him. Um, oh. If you have any specifics, we can we can. Explore. Okay. And I will say Spade's character is like the Chandler and the Ross, if they're like a one character. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. What we don't have is we don't have a nerdy character because Spade's thing was he was always so confident. He was, you know, the scrappy little skinny dude, but he just always came in full force with this I, I don't give a fuck personality and it's so commendable. But they fed into that with that balcony scene because you realize it's a false bravado is overcompensating. And that would have been an interesting character trait to explore. Oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. It's just, it's a shame. It's just, it, ooh, it was really early in his career and that was asking an awful lot of him. And I don't As, feel like in a stand-up comic. I mean, yeah, I, I don't feel like he fully succeeds, but we'll, we'll talk about that in more detail at some point. I'm sure. Okay, so we got that was a lot of foundational work. And now we don't have to talk about that when they come into the show. Let me quickly get the nuts and bolts out of the way here. This was written by Martha Williamson. We've talked about her many, many times. This is her eighth of eight shows. She previously wrote Concentration in season seven. I've said it before. That's one of our favorite episodes with Nehemiah Persoff in the elevator as the uh, Holocaust survivor. Oh, the, the yes, that one. Yeah. Nehemiah Persop should have had an Emmy, should have gotten nominated and should have fucking won an Emmy for that. Uh, but then in season eight, she wrote some of our least favorite episodes, Another Room, where they make the other room in the attic. That was just there. Yeah, that's just there. The attic, which is, you know, next to the bedroom, even though it was above the bedroom when we had Ryan Cassidy living up there. But anyway, 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 uh, she wrote both of the cinnamon episodes, Off-Broadway Baby and A Star is Torn. Do you think she was just a big Stacy Q fan and wanted to meet her? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> just like the the one who wrote the Jermaine Jackson episode was probably a Michael Jackson fan. Of course. And couldn't get him. Get you Jermaine. Yeah. <laughs> I know you asked for Michael for Christmas, but yeah. the store had Jermaine. <laughs> I know you wanted a Cabbage Patch doll, but here is the Lettuce Patch Kid. <laughs> Here's a boiled dinner, baby. <laughs> Corned beef and cabbage. Yes. Uh, she also wrote in season eight, this is only a test, which is like, okay, fine. And she wrote the first half of the Richard Mall down and out in Malibu episode. And less than perfect. She wrote the one where Blair permanently yes. scars her face forever and ever until the next week. What was that? And lastly, Martha Williamson, you will recall, most recently has seen great success producing and writing the Signed, Sealed, Delivered series of TV movies on the Hallmark Channel. I've never, I've heard of them only because of this, I've never watched one, but apparently there's like 13 of them. It's, it's a big deal. And it's directed by John Boab. Hallelujah. Don't need to talk about him anymore. So... Now, Ken, is when we finally <laughs> get to giving us the TV guide 
synopsis of the episode. Can you please tell us in one to two sentences what happens in Big Apple Blues? Natalie starts a new life in New York City with a with a diverse group of roommates. Beautiful. Beautiful. Is that what you had, Matthew? I had the girls have a garage sale. <laughs> also known as Blair can't take her eyes off Beverly Ann's clock. Yeah. What? Uh, clock. And we mean that with air quotes. Yeah, that was the, the, the Beverly Ann beloved clock thing. God bless Cloris Leachman. She can commit to anything. She sells it. Damn. But you talked about this, Ken, very much like if there was ever an indicator like, we think the show is about over now. Let's start selling our shit off. Yeah. Well, there, there's a Growing Pains two-parter from season two that's a clip show. But the premise of the clip show is they're having a garage sale and all of the items are from past episodes. Oh. But the strangest thing is they put all this, they, it's the night before the yard sale and they have all the objects. But then the episode is the objects themselves talking to each other and Ooh. reminiscing about the episodes. <laughs> oh, now, now I'm out again. <laughs> Very strange. But it reminded me of that a little bit because that is a really interesting way to get into a clip show. Yeah, so it is. And they totally could have done it with Facts of Life without quite Joe's carburetor. How often right. she was just walking around, right. but hey, I hey, got look, it it's that horn that honks that that one man band lady left here or like, you know, whatever. <laughs> they do sell 2D skates. Yes, that was the one that I was uh, that was like the callback that I was like, yeah, there we go. I have to pose this question. Do they? Oh, Jesus. Do they oh, sell Jesus. 2Ds skates? We'll never know. We'll we're, never find out. Oh, but we will. It's like the end of The Sopranos. We're an hour into this, and we haven't even opened the scene yet. Okay. I <laughs> cannot help it. I am as God made me. I take the so, blame here. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no I, Ken. I brought him up. I brought him up. It was no, me. No, you did. I, it, it, hi, I, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> So when Blair brings in the roller skates at the end, why Blair is suddenly gung-ho about a yard sale, why Blair is picking up change off the floor. Blair is the most not like herself that we have ever, ever seen her. But here's the thing they teased all season. Uh, and they teased it with the It's a Wonderful Life Christmas episode as well. That I think they were setting up, if they didn't go in the direction that they do for the final two-parter, Blair becoming poor. Oh. Like, what would it be like if Blair loses all her money? That seemed like a comedic premise they kept trying to poke at. Um, to the point where I wonder if when they did the sort of show Bible for the season, that was a thing that actually happened at some point. And then there are pieces of that or sort of character traits from that fall that still remain in some episodes because they don't write the episodes in order no. um, necessarily so because you see it in a few different episodes there's like some weird things about Blair being like kind of cheap or like um, you know trying to save money or like a weird thing um, and that that's my theory <laughs> uh, that could very well be the truth that could be what was going on here but uh, how it didn't actually come up and rise to the surface of any of the other scripts. Now doing this, it, it makes no sense why she is so uh, comedically gung-ho about this mm. thing. Thankfully, we never see it. Thankfully, it's happening off stage 
And it's just literally, we have to give the others something to do. And so this is it. And the other thing is that it is precipitated by Pippa and Andy discovering some old junk. And we've talked about this before. They have not lived at this house long enough for there to be old junk, for there to be dusty shit in the attic, which we have seen in the past. And so that whole thing is also preposterous. My suggestion for the writers was to change it to where Blair was offended by the idea of a garage sale. Her being like, I'm not gonna fucking come down 25 cents off of a Chanel skirt. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Like Blanche says, I don't want somebody trying to knock 10 cents off my, I lost my ass in Vegas cup, you know, (laughs) but, um, but then I liked how, I liked how Blair was into it when she ran in and was like, Hey, can I, you think I can sell these? Like, I kind of wanted that to be her thing where she's like a garage sale gross, but then come running in and being like, okay, making 25. Yeah. I'm making deals here and woo, the shit is going like kind of the, I don't know. I kind of liked that idea of her enjoying it when she came running in and goes, can I sell two these skates? She doesn't need them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. The idea that she loves shopping so much. She's like, oh my God, I've never been on the other side of this. What a rush. Yeah. 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 This is crazy talk. (laughs) But, but I did kind of want her to be like against the, I, to give her that character arc during this episode of being against the garage sale, but then suddenly finding it really exciting. Well, isn't there a line, am I remembering correctly? I feel like, didn't she say somewhere throughout the series where she said, well, we went to a thrift store to see if we could find something, but then I found out those clothes have been worn before. Yeah, that is earlier. And I, I also, I I was hoping, when this first aired, I was hoping that the yard sale would be over our head stuff. Oh, yeah! What the fuck happened to that? <laughs> that would make so much more sense. Oh, I mean, but uh, back to this roller skate debacle here that we have to deal with. So Blair coming in saying, can we sell 2D skates? And Natalie says, well, you can't sell 2D skates. She went through puberty in those. So I had to do the deep dive. I had to say, well, did she go through puberty in those? Because there was that episode called Another Room where they initially are up in the attic and Tootie, if you recall, her skates are kind of hanging by the window and they're covered in dust, by the way, covered in dust. They've lived in this house for two years. And she's like, oh, look, my roller skates. And I remember saying, those are not her roller skates. Those don't match any roller skate that we ever saw her in in season one. And I thought, well, this, these ones that Blair presents don't match those others. So I did go back and I looked at all 13 episodes of season one, and I found no fewer than five different types of roller skates that they had her in. Can you believe I I was shocked, too, that there were that many. But I I won't go through them in, in great detail. Interestingly, there's one pair that matches her Eastland uniform, their maroon in blue there's one that matches the gym uniform which is the yellow and navy blue they gave her coordinating skates she's got monday through friday skates (laughs) yes but there is a pair that's tan with with red wheels that she wears on the horse when the flash flood happens yeah she also rides a horse in her roller skates well done it the early early episodes have her in standard white high tops like you'd get at a skating rink 
And then there's also a pair that are low top, light blue with three stripes. And I have to eat my own words. Those match the ones in the Another Room episode yep. that 2D references. The Adidas style. Yeah, exactly. Now, none of these five skates that I have just described are bright royal blue shiny high tops like the ones that Blair brings in. So Blair, sell those skates because those were never 2Ds according to this show. And I think we all feel better now that we went on that journey to find out the truth. Here's a theory though. Oh God. Maybe there were skates that she bought for her wedding day <gasps> and she hadn't, they hadn't been used. Damn it. She just had them. They were like the special occasion skates. Oh, man, man, there it goes. Another rabbit hole. We got to gotta get Kim Fields in your show and you got to ask her. Because that makes it even worse if you're selling. Yeah. We'll ask Diana, the costumer, say you were planning a 2D wedding with bright blue roller skates, right? That was going to happen there. Okay. So the meat of this episode, we've we've covered the, <laughs> the shit, the fat, as it were. Why couldn't this episode have just started at the apartment? We could have started in the hallway of the apartment. Tootie and Natalie could have been, are you sure this is the place? Yes, this is the place where my friend Casey said, here, come and stay at her loft in Soho anytime you want. I'll tell you why, because they had to pay the cast anyway. <laughs> God forbid you send an actor home and pay them and not let them do anything. You're getting some work out of them. <laughs> yes, that's how the theme parks work also, I can say. Uh, so anyhow, that was just, I'm like, this is so extraneous and we could have had more time to further develop these characters and their relationships. But um, the the longer form, I'm not going to do a synopsis, but... Natalie, driven by freaking out over her final final, being one of those people that probably got an A and is like, I flunked my final. I'm leaving school. They're going to kill me. They're going to bury me alive. So Tootie says to her, you know what? How about we forget about all this? I've got an audition in New York. Why don't you come into town with me tomorrow? And Natalie's like, well, why don't we make a whole weekend of it and stay at this loft in Soho? And I wanted Tootie to say, because it's a one hour train ride and it's completely unnecessary where we are geographically located. But okay, fine. They end up deciding to do that. And when they get to this loft, the friend is not there, but her ragtag bunch of fellow artistical types are around and thankfully welcome them and let them stay there. I, I'm i gonna stop talking for a moment and I'm going to allow the two of you to speak and say, let's, let's talk about and describe this apartment. What struck us about this loft that is of note? It's very much of the My Two Dads style uh, with the sort of uh, pop art boho kind of thing going on here. Was that the My Two Dads? I, I never watched Yeah, they that had show. the car couch and it was a loft and there's a lot of glass bricks and neon. And so there's a spray painted couch. I do, I have to say, I love the detail of the realistic homeless man statue sitting next to the door and the spare key is under his hat. I love that. Like if I was a, a very wealthy person and could just commission things, I would have that. <laughs> no, it's genius. That was a great yeah. little addition. It's a good gag. Um, and side note, when this reminds me that one of the other spinoffs they could have done was about the teenage prostitution ring in oh, no. New York. <laughs> trying to re recruit no. Tootie. <laughs> you know, no. it'd be like a funny... Uh... 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, um, that creepy ass dude in the yeah. purple suit answering the payphone. Oh yep. my God. Yeah. Um, Matthew, yeah. talk to us about the, what did you think about the apartment? What struck you? I liked how many little places there were to play. I thought they had a lot of different places to, to put stuff. It struck me a lot like the, um, <clears throat> um, the big bang theory set as well. Mm -hmm. And that there's, they've got the, the kitchen while in the same room is almost a completely different set. You know, so I liked that and I thought it was open, obviously ridiculous because in New York, that, that loft would, I mean, it would take five people paying the money to, to stay in that. But although late 80s, yeah, in a right. shitty neighborhood, you could maybe get, you know, a loft apartment with for five people in it because yeah. the bed situation, they have like makeshift beds and bunk yeah. beds and yeah. And, and, and I, clothing and I, racks as room dividers. Yeah. And I mean, they they leaned hard into that struggling people all sharing an apartment. And Charlotte Ray herself talks about this is kind of what she had with Cloris Leachman and Paul Lind in their early days. She talks about Cloris would bring guys back to the apartment, and be fucking them while she's got like a sheet hanging between their areas. My biggest problem right off the bat was... Um, Tootie, as an actress, is so grossed out and weirded out by this bohemian lifestyle. Like, I, I, she comes I, off as a real prick, like a real suburban priss in this one. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I was like, I, I was, read that as as Kim Fields being angry that clearly Natalie's getting the spinoff treatment. Mm -hmm. Oh, and why couldn't they have kind of set it up for both of them? Why couldn't that have been a thing that with their besties and I bet Kim Fields, I mean, knowing nothing about Kim Fields and not knowing her personally, I bet she would not have wanted to share the spotlight in a spinoff. She would have wanted her own spinoff. Wow. But then she did Living Single where she didn't really get top billing there. That was six years later. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting by the phone, waiting for it to ring. will change yep. your point of view. Yes. So I love that there's the, the kitchen table at which they eat is a makeshift plank of wood on a bathtub. Yep. The refrigerator and the sink are just standalone. They're just in the middle of the, like there is no, the other than the bathroom, that little tiny room off to the side, this is everything. This is their entire living space. The balcony. Yeah. The balcony is there too. Yeah. But I, I was like, okay, wow, it is huge. And Remind me, I forgot to write down the math. I usually obsess over this. So David Spade says, since Casey is not coming back from this gig, that the rent has gone up by $200. $200 each, yeah. So there is, what is there, four, four of them? Two, 200 each? Yeah, because yeah. where are we supposed to get an extra $200? And that's when Richard Grieco goes, I can't sell any more blood. I cut myself shaving and nothing came out. Yeah, so uh, it's 200 each. So I thought it was 200 for that. Because remember, like, remember Three's Company, that apartment was $300 in Santa Monica. No, so that would be 800, I thought it was 800 bucks times five. What's that? 800 times five, that's $3,000. Yeah, that probably sounds right to me. <laughs> really? In the late, see, I would have thought it was, okay. I don't know. I don't know. So, and who's to say that is a rabbit hole we don't need to go down because we've we've got so many others here. Um, 
Uh, what else? Let's uh, just talk about, let's start throwing some stuff at the wall. What do you want to discuss, boys? Tootie has some two good outfits in this episode. She looks great, has like full-on control Janet Jackson look going. Mm, yes. Into Rhythm Nation. Like it's, because earlier in the seasons, they, you know, like pre previous season, they go more control shoulder pads, but they're like Rhythm Nation Janet Jackson in her. And in the first one where they go to the apartment, she's got kind of like a leather, strappy, bondagey Rhythm Nation thing on. Mm -hmm. Looks very good. Yeah, that should look good. And her hair was varying levels of large and up and down. And yeah, Kim feels look really good in this episode. But I will say, Natalie, when the first scene especially, they dress her in one of the worst outfits I've ever seen her in. She Ooh. appears to be in a full body dress with like a sweatshirt over it. Yeah. But like a collar peeking out that's the same yellow. Like, it, it's awful. It's not the nicest thing she's worn. No. Well, it, it's just as lovely as that jacket she puts on with the one lapel that has lace on it. Yeah, and the big, is it the one with the big weird corsage yeah. thing? And then at the end, she's sitting in her living room with a scarf over her shoulder, typing as you did in 1988. <laughs> so. She might have a little bit of arthritis. Yeah. I, I just, thought, and I thought, and I know, I get it, exposition, You've got to really hit hard with who these characters are. You've got 23 minutes, even though, was it just me or did this episode feel long? It does. It feels like a two-parter. Yeah. Agreed. It felt like a 40-minute episode. By the time it was done, I was yeah. like, wow. Supersized. But, um, but they really, I thought, did as well as they could slamming who these characters are right from the beginning I mean, you've got the tough, you've got the tough broad, you've got the, the Rose Nyland, the everything is beautiful, but still kind of realistic in the Richard Grieco and who walk, who first line when he walks in, directors are the worst. Okay. He's an actor. <laughs> yeah. And, ponytail. And is, watching, uh, oh God, that ponytail, take off that ponytail, Richard Grieco. Yeah. Uh, the mullet was fine it was 88 nobody cared that your hair was long in the back but um there's a line where they're doing laundry and 23 year old richard greco says take my socks make my day and i fainted so i have no <laughs> idea but i like that character moment where they're go where she's like i'm gonna go do laundry and he goes okay i'll i'll be on watch and brings the bat with him so yeah like uh, this because... is 1980s new york this is yeah. this is tough man this is Absolutely. If I were in the room where Richard Grieco's dirty socks and underwear were, he would need a baseball bat to I'll tell you, me away from them. That's probably <laughs> something we could make happen today. And I literally um, mean today, today. <laughs> I, mm. I, I will say Spade's introduction is the best character introduction, and it's the best mood setting introduction of the of the way this apartment works Agreed. because he comes in doesn't acknowledge the two new people in here uh strips down and puts on his his scrubs while he's talking and it kind of goes out and it's like that encapsulates what that sitcom is at its best if that sitcom happened yeah and he talks about having a schedule for their music and a sign-up sheet and things so you get okay so he's got sort of some monica tendencies here with the organization i wish they hadn't made him creepy later though when he comes back in in the latter uh, half who wants chest like, uh, exams yeah, ladies yeah. night at dr scott's free chest exams and keep saying chest exams that's still on the table ladies but here i'll defend that though 
Oh, oh, really? Oh, really? Cis hetero straight guy defend it. Because he, it was an interesting character moment before his dramatic moment. He kind of yells at Natalie for never leaving the apartment Mm -hmm. because he clearly wants to be alone. Right. Yeah. And so being a dick like that and saying that kind of thing would be a way to get them to be like, let's get out of here for a bit. So yeah. I'm like, it almost like I, I don't think they were smart enough to have written it that way. Like it's clearly just a dumb joke, but you could justify it as an intentional gross thing that that character is saying so that he can have some time alone in the apartment to cry. I, yeah, I, I took it as a part of his bravado because as we would develop that character, we'd find out that he can't get a date. Right. He's a virgin that, that, you know, that's part of that yeah. overconfident kind of, Hey ladies, I'll check your titties. Yeah. And he's never seen one. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, I think that's a great idea. And that would have been a good way to pursue it. Then when we do get to the scene, let's, this is what I want to talk about is his dramatical scene, the trying to play the drama of, I lost my first patient today when he finally, you know, lets us see inside the veneer uh, wonderful that they did that. Thank you, writer Martha, for giving us that and presenting that part of the character. But, oh, as an actor, he was so in over his head. Well, to this day, David Spade is not known for sincerity. No. That is not that is not an emotion he easily conveys in anything like that, even if he's trying, like no matter what he's in. So um, yeah. he was uniquely positioned to do that specific thing very badly. <laughs> Yeah. And he does these as as an actor. I'm looking at it going, oh, John Boab, come on. Come on. You could have helped him. You really could have fixed this. One of the things, the rookie mistakes you see him making is that that young actor thing of I don't know what to do with my hands. So he's wringing his hands. And it then it was where he put him right on Natalie's chest. It was when he yeah, when we started squeezing her titties. Goes, while I lost saying, my first patient today. Hey. Hanka, Hanka. <laughs> But then, but then after he says, I lost it, then he takes and he like kind of puts them in prayer and puts them up in, in, in front of his face. And it's just like, it's like, you could have fixed that by just saying, Hey, David, let's not do the hands. I want to see stillness. So put your hands on the balcony and keep them there. I promise you, you don't need to do anything. We're only going to be seeing your face anyway. David, we want you to to play upset. Uh, so, and he goes, okay, so you mean Arsenio Hall pretending to listen to somebody? that's what i should do (laughs) like that that's the move that's what works yeah the hands the the prayer hands in front of the face hmm yeah mm -hmm. yeah i I agree with you the 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 concept of what this scene is trying to do i'm totally on board but i was like oh in the execution they they could have helped him a little bit and it's directorial you know who they wrote that scene for the oh. exact comedic timing and ability level that when she wrote that, whether she knew it or not, who she was writing that for is Michael J. Fox. The beats, all of his oh. character jokes, his beats, the the emotional turn there was 100% written imagining Michael J. Fox doing it. That was the casting notice, a Michael J. Fox type, because that's what Spade was in his day. Yeah. And if you threw Fox at that, at that scene, oh, nailed it. Crush. It would have been not anything different to do and it would have been perfect so yeah i i think that was what she was well it might have been a little shaky Possibly. oh stop jesus christ Matthew. setting them up <laughs> knocking them down wow all right no extra charge for the jokes ladies and gentlemen 
Now, I do want to point out what else? Okay, again, you guys, uh, David, shut up. It's kind of it. There's not really yeah. much else to the episode. The only th- other thing I have to say is show Bible good moment. Natalie has thought of a story. So rather than try to get it published in the village voice, maybe a free New York paper, right. mm-hmm. she's taking it to the fucking New Yorker and also speaks of it. Like it's a done deal. Like I just came up with a New Yorker story. I'm yeah. working on my New Yorker story. Like what? I, That's like uh, me being like, I'm planning my Winona Ryder date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I just, I just, uh, come on. I wanted that. I wanted them to be like somebody. How about the the tough girl to be like the New Yorker? Why don't you set your sights a little bit lower, Miss Day One in New York City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was exactly. Silly. Fucking New Yorker. Oh, I will say, good dog alert, though. It was a nice big um, uh, uh, Saint Bernard, Saint Bernard in there, and that that was fun. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's it. Because this lovely boho gig economy, before we ever called it the gig economy, the character of Nina, not only is she a dancer, we know she teaches a dance class, and she says she also walks pets, and she gives tours of, is it? Radio City. Radio City. So she's like, someone take this dog, I got a tour in 15 minutes, and she's throwing on her uniform. And that's a great thing. That is something we kind of hadn't really seen in a sitcom. It would be great. Like, they set up a lot of great... Uh, plant a lot of great seeds that you could have used in that sitcom, like where they have a, you know, waiting, a, 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 a waitering gig or whatever, like an events cater, yeah, caterer gig, like that, almost like that show party down. Like you have that aspect. Yeah. Like you could have a whole episode there. Like, a, like there was a lot they could do with this. Mm-hmm. Another show Bible good moment when Natalie is comforting David Spade, she says, my dad was a surgeon. And it's like, oh my God, he was. Yeah, he was. And and past tense is correct because we were at his funeral. So thank you for that, Martha Williamson. There's a couple other show Bible good moments where when Natalie is freaking out at the beginning of the episode, she's saying, well, I flunked out of school. I guess I'll go and see if I can get my old job back at the funeral home. Yes, she did have that. That is correct. And someone says, well, you're not unemployed, Natalie. You still have your job at the Peak Skill Register. Yes, she does, because we know that she is an investigative journalist doing expository, hard-hitting stories on the ROTC and men-on-the-street interviews of people standing on window ledges about to kill themselves. And she also mans the classified ad section. And she was a restaurant critic the other week. Like, we know she's kind of this Jill-of-all-trades as a writer and getting a lot of good experience Which fits with a small town newspaper. Like that's not that unusual. Like that kind of reads true for, for a small newspaper. Yeah, totally. So it's, uh, it, that's all good. That's the, these are all the show Bible good moments. I guess my big show Bible bad moment. And this is in the writing when Natalie says to Tootie right before the commercial, Tootie, I'm not going back. I'm staying here. And this big tum, 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 And then we come back and she's like, basically saying that uh, now being in the city here, living with these other struggling artists really makes me feel like I belong. New York is the creative center of everything. It's like, you know, being in Peekskill is small potatoes here. I'm feeling inspired and I've already started writing things, you know, because I've been in Peekskill the last nine years. And, you know, I grew up in um, 
New York. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Natalie and, is from New York, folks. Yep. And lives an hour away for the whole rest of the show. And has has had access to going to see Broadway shows yep. and museums. I mean, full on. Yeah, that country mouse, city mouse thing doesn't work here. And to no. the point where, again, to Matthew's point earlier, like Tootie is seen as being like, Ugh. and it's like she wants to be a Broadway actress. <laughs> and she's grossed out by New York and is like, you're staying here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, she should be the one who's like, this is so cool. Like, blah, blah, blah. And should have been like, you're a dancer. What are you doing? And instead of Tegrico being like, oh, I'm an actor too, being like, oh, you're an actor. What do you do? Like, it been like way more interested. Like, it, yeah. it was it, it, like, it feels like that Tootie in this episode should have been like Andy or someone, like someone who wasn't. Like yeah. he didn't know anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, that would have been, Andy would have been a great thing. And again, I don't trust these guys. I don't know if you like, that would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah. And and Mackenzie Aston, anything he does, he spins comedy gold out of it. We oh, know yeah, that. Imagine Mackenzie Aston having like a smarm off with Spade. Like, oh yeah. Uh, Both of them comparing notes about all the chicks they banged. Yeah, like, <clears throat> yes, it, it would have been great. That would be amazing. Wow. Well, I'm looking through my notes and I'm thinking I've kind of come to the end too. I had so much to talk about. I've taken copious notes, but as Matthew will attest, I kind of end up just transcribing the entire dialogue for the episode. Um, we hit all the notes, but this is an interesting episode. The big question, David, and I will say, I thought the ending should have been her walking out of the apartment saying, I'll be back. That's where the button should have been on the episode. Right. Why did we have to have Beverly Ann and company at all? Yeah. I but... bet they had writer's room argument about it. They were like, people tune into this show to see these characters, not some characters they don't know. And you got to give them that yeah. at the end. And I'm sure at this point, you're right. Um, Ken, they were like, no, we're paying them. We need the one, two, three from them. But I, the big, the big question, David, for the end of this episode, would I watch a, a series where Natalie is in New York? And I have to say, I loved Natalie. She was one of my, she was my favorite comedy person in the Facts of Life. Richard Grieco would have hit me in all the feels in 1988 at my age at the time, but I secretly would have had a crush on David Spade. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just put him in your pocket. It's just as a little guy. Oh, adorable. God, when fucking Greco takes his shirt off, it's like, Jesus, God, I could imagine what it was like to see him. Because you know, Ken, as well as I do, how TV people are just weirdly beautiful. Oh, like, of course. You yeah. know, like they're just, it's weird to look at them yeah. because they're so beautiful. And Greco is so young and so smooth. Like uh, he looks yeah. waxy. He almost looks like CGI or something. Greco yeah. is so gorgeous here. Yeah. Like George Clooney, who Richard Greco walks onto the set. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God, it hurts to look at you. Mm -hmm. But he plays a good himbo too. Like, like Clooney, Clooney can't be a himbo type like handsome guy he's like kind of like a, hey, i'm good looking i know whatever yeah there's yeah. a goofy like, quality to, to yeah but Clooney like that's Grico's kind of like oh, i'm dumb and i'm hot like he does that yeah. well yeah he does it well so i would have 100 percent tuned in to the first episode of natalie in new york big apple bites 
Big Apple call it. Bite. <laughs> oh, okay. Big Apple Bites. I will okay. say this, and this might be why I thought Natalie wouldn't end up being on that series for the thing. As great as Natalie is, and as, as much of the comedic heart, especially the last few seasons of this show, I feel like is Natalie. I did not feel like she had any chemistry whatsoever, specifically comedic, with any of those cast members of this new show. Well, I think none of them that, clicked. I think that eventually would have been the ultimate downfall of the show. But uh, but it, had it gone to series, I absolutely would have watched. Oh, yeah. 100% I would have watched it. Yeah. Me too. Agreed. And yeah. it's just like, it's just like you suddenly find out like you're, you've put these characters that everybody loves with different people. And it's like, Meh, Golden Palace um, and Woman of the House, yeah. putting Suzanne, yeah. taking Suzanne Sugarbaker out of Sugarbakers. And it was just like, Meh. yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Here's yeah. what I, here's what I want to see. This show with these characters and these actors done now they're playing the same characters 30 years later all still living in this apartment oh yes still trying to do the same things during the pandemic let's set it in early 2020 where it's a doctor yeah david's a doctor so he gets to come and go when we see him in his freaking hazmat suit but the rest of them are all stuck in the fucking apartment still and how do we be an actor still survive. gig stuff still the hippie dip yeah like sharing this apartment because it's rent controlled so none of them wanted to move oh yeah true yeah like the monica's grandmother thing that we finally learned in is it the last season of friends and it's like oh well the apartment's in our grandmother's name that's why we we can afford this place <laughs> well gentlemen i think we have done it we did next it. week it's going to be the aptly titled the beginning of the end it's the first part of the two-part finale where they wrap up this show-ish and set course for the next phase where they're going to make Blair be the star and take over Eastland. And ugh, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it for many reasons, especially in that I know it doesn't turn out all that well. And I wish that it had turned out better. I don't think I'm going to be saying, I totally would have watched this. As opposed, I, I mean, yeah. Pip is I mean, a main we would have, member. but we wouldn't have liked it. You know? Juliette Lewis, Seth Green. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, it's nothing to do with the cast. It's just, it seems like, you know, the chemistry with the new guy. And again, I haven't watched it in months. I'm talking about yeah. my ass here, but. It would have been like private school saved by the bell. I don't think it would have mm. been very good. Yeah. Oh, you know what a listener sent me was. Uh, what 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 was the um the Julia Duffy show in the nineties? The Mommies? No, where she's like the headmaster of a school, and oh, wait a minute. Oh, I don't know it. I don't think I know it. Oh, okay. Um, it's kind of like one of those. It was trying to be the Facts of Life, like in nineteen ninety seven. Oh, Social Studies, nineteen ninety seven. No recollection of it. Yeah, I don't know if it went to series or whatever. So wait a minute, I'm sharing this. It says she was in two episodes. Oh, so maybe it got canceled. Uh, you know what? I will ask Julia Duffy. <gasps> That's the fifth name you've dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been keeping track. One of the one of the former guests of the show that I stay in touch with the most. <laughs> oh my gosh, really? That is so exciting. Who would have imagined? Did you ever think 
like when you started no, not in a billion years yeah even my thing is like just even talking to diana eden talking to someone who was in the room when it was happening is so like oh my god <laughs> yeah i mean i've been doing this declutter and there you know like people may have seen on my social media posts on like cast jackets and all kinds of weird stuff that i have but there is stuff i would never sell and a lot of it's stuff that like these people have given me like julia gave me some new heart stuff and um the girls from just the ten of us gave me continuity scripts with all the polaroids in them and like oh my stuff god. like that that i'm like yeah not only do i have this <laughs> Yeah. But it was given to me by these people is amazing. That is crazy. When is this, uh, when are you uh, shooting for this one out? This one, this one comes out a week from Wednesday. Oh, so that will be the week that I have Tracy Lords on. Oh my God. You number got Tracy six. Lords. Yeah. Um, number six, Tracy <laughs> Lords. <laughs> She's the best. She's awesome. Uh, and I've oh known my her. god! I've known her for a long time, and uh, been trying to get her on the show. So we finally did it. And it's, it's a fun one. Oh, Where in Massachusetts exciting. is she from? <laughs> she's not. She is from. Uh, what? She is from Ohio, and then is uh, and then moved when she's a teenager, and, and did grow up in the valley. Man, oh, I can't wait to hear that. These are the things you hear on TV Guidance Counselor, and of course, follow Ken on his social media. I'm directing our tens of listeners toward you and your merch can so maybe there might be something that uh people might be interested in i'm assuming if you had anything facts of life use keeping it or you would get right of first refusal oh you're so sweet well ken i didn't get up north this past year i wanted to and i've got family i need to i just haven't been up i've been up in like six years now so i am hell-bent to get up there <laughs> I am hell bent to get up there in the fall. I'm like, let me try to go when there's foliage. Maybe yeah, we'll get some bob pies. Yeah, late September, early October. We are meeting up. I am buying you a bob pie and a whole pitcher awesome. of beer. Awesome. Even though I know you don't drink like I don't get drink. Get like a Coke or something. Get a, yeah, pitcher of Coke. Yeah. Dr. Pepper, maybe. Wow, what am I sick? Have you thought about selling seat picks, Ken? Yeah, I don't think that I don't think those would get a big uh, lot of money. Oh. I don't know what the going rate is for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you, you and Matthew can correspond. Matthew can definitely give you some information regarding that. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ken. Thank you again, as always, so much for this. Thank you for all the contributions you have made towards this entire series. What a joy it has been to fall in love with your podcast and to now, after all this time, consider you a friend. This is wonderful. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Yes, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I've enjoyed every, every time I've done this. It's been great. And I'd be remiss if I didn't end the episode with, thank you for listening and remember. The facts of life are all about Richard Grieco's socks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week 
for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>